Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one badass podcast, and a whole load of brilliant conversation. On this week's episode, we meet Tulsi Vigari and we talk to her about living life on her own terms with life-changing body scars. We also meet the fabulous Lily Mills. She's a gold medal winner at the Special Olympics. And finally, Britta Fernandez-Schmidt talks about Women for Women International and why she doesn't think Me Too has gone far enough. All that and more on the podcast. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Joining us in the studio, a woman who not only survived a plane crash, but has survived and thrived with the scars she obtained in it. Tulsi Vigari, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Hi, good evening. Can you take us back to age 10 and what happened? Um, so I was 10 years old um, and I was involved in a plane crash. I was on holiday with my mum, dad and my brother and we went to visit my great granddad in India. So we thought we'd go on holiday and um, tour India before I start high school. Um, on February 14th, um, 1990, we were going to um, Bangalore, but me and my brother wanted to go Goa because of the beaches. Um, and that's when the accident happened. Um, I lost my mum, my dad, and my brother in the accident. Wow. Um, I sustained a 45% degree burns to my face and body, um, both second and third degree burns. What does that mean when we when we talk about first, second, third degree burns? What are we talking about? I mean, I guess first would probably be like if you like had an iron burn or you know, um, sort of over time the sort of scar just reduces. Yeah. But sort of second and third degree starts affecting like all the layers of the skin, often or not, like you can lose sensation, um, like nerve endings and things like that. And as you grew up, how, well, first of all, as you grew up, how aware were you of your scars? Um, so I wasn't aware of my scars until about sort of six weeks after my accident. I was aware that something had happened because my family and everyone was telling me, mm-hmm. but it didn't register because being 10 and then sort of, I guess, being under sedation, mm. it didn't make sense. But it was when I looked in the mirror, I think about six weeks after my accident, and I saw the person in the mirror, what I thought wasn't me. I thought it was a sick joke that somebody drew this face. But as the eyes and the mouth were moving, you know, that I knew that was me. And I couldn't really see any kind of burns on my body just because I was bandaged and, you know... Um, swollen but I think it hit me 
a lot later because even at that point I was quite naive thinking the cloth is just going to get rid of the scars and even in a year's time and I don't have to deal with anything. Mm. Yeah. And at this point were you still in India or had you come back to the UK? No I was now um, in the UK so I was in India for about three to four days and I was flown back to the UK. Mm-hmm. And so the journey of recovery so at six weeks you were up and and looking at, at yourself yeah and then what was the journey from that point onwards um yeah so you know in hospital it was great because everyone just treated me as me mm-hmm. I felt myself I didn't feel any different at that point I was still sort of you know quite boisterous and you know quite jovial um and because everyone accepted me as I was my world I thought that's how it's going to be but it's the journey to and from hospital, it's a journey to and from school, mm. that's where it was difficult. So it's at that point I realised that something has happened to me because obviously I can't see my face. Sure, I can see my hands, which you know badly scarred, but that didn't stop me doing anything. Mm. But it's the name calling, it's the people crossing the street, it was people throwing things at me to see if I would react, people shouting, you should be dead, you're ugly, all those kind of words. I didn't even know what ugly meant until I looked in a dictionary. And then I started to adopt that word thinking, if everyone sees me like that, surely that's what I must be. So I carried that label for quite a while. How old were you when when all this was going on? Is this still when you're quite young? Yeah, so this is all just sort of um, pre-15 years old. So it's sort of not in school. School was fantastic. I was so lucky. There was no bullying involved. In fact, I've still got good friends from then now. But it's it's the journey like on the bus Mm. when you're walking to and from. so strangers really giving you yes. the abuse. It was strangers and just silly like ignorant messages and um, comments like, can you walk, can you talk, can you see? And you're like, really? Like mm. just because of my scars, it doesn't limit with anything. But this is the kind of perceptions that I was faced with. That's absolutely astonishing. What I never understand this. What on earth, people who comment on other people in the street, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. What sense of over entitled narcissism do you have that makes you think that anyone wants to hear from you I'm yeah and then also i'm interested to know you know you've been through a really traumatic event one a plane crash is traumatic a- yeah. enough you've lost the majority of your like immediate family yeah uh, and now you're dealing with you know healing and scarring how did you how did you get yourself through mm. that and also when you're in your teenage years which is a really difficult time for anybody in terms of you know how you're looking and how you're developing you you've been you've been through so much um i don't to be honest i don't know i think i just sort of grin and bed through it um i mean i do a lot of work around mental health for example so i kept everything inside i didn't share so i wouldn't tell any of my friends or family what i've experienced unless they were with me and they would get quite defensive and then i'd feel awkward like you know just let's not make a scene you just sort of accepted it was part of your day-to-day That's what right. you had to part with yeah and i thought this is a sort of least of my worries considering like you know i've got to go through other surgery and just deal with life and i guess going through adolescence there was all that to go through as well um i think for me what sort of became quite strange was i thought everyone experiences this so that's how i internalized it so i thought everyone experiences loss loss of a parent some sort of scars whether you can see them or not and this was probably when i was about 13 14 years old but it but it's only later in life i realized that's not how it works you know Everyone's life is so different. 
But it's quite, it's still a resilient outlook to have Very at 13 so. to sort of say, well, everyone's suffering in their own way uh, and almost to not shrug it off because I'm sure that isn't, isn't what it is. Yeah. Uh, how did it then, was there a point when actually that resilience broke down and, and you thought, you know what, well, I'm, I'm possibly more hurt than I, than I think I am? Um, I don't think I have had that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, fast forwarding quite a lot of that. I mean, I, I was diagnosed with end stage renal failure when I was 26. Mm-hmm. So I was in the middle of university. But at that stage, even then, I was like, well, I'm not sure why this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. But I know I've got the tools to sort of deal with it because I can deal with anything life throws at me. But again, like I was suffering in silence again. Mm. So whatever I was going through, I wasn't sharing it with anybody. But I now realise that had I shared it, it wouldn't have been such a burden. Mm. Um, but I, I guess I've always had that fighting spirit. Mm-hmm. I think I had that even when I was in um, in school because I was always the one that was standing up to the kid that was getting bullied in the playground, for example, always at the head teacher's office. <laughs> so I've always... <laughs> just done that and I always wanted to fight injustices of some sort mm. but I just didn't know at the time what yeah. now it's of a different nature obviously I'm now campaigning for change in the fashion and beauty industry based on the fact that I've learned to cope with my scars as they are and I wouldn't want to change them to be honest this is who I am mm. um, I don't like covering them up um, because now I don't know what I'd look like without my scars I think it would look quite weird mm-hmm. um, but I guess I've always had that acceptance and yeah. resilience somehow. So what do you want the uh, fashion and beauty industry to change specifically then? What's your campaigning about? It's just more like inclusivity, you mm. know, um, to have a fair representation, to have someone on the catwalk that has scars, maybe not just like mine, but similar to mine. And it just being normalised, normalised in the media, you know, we are seeing a lot more changes now, you know like the number seven campaign and mm. a, f- a few others like Avon, mm. you know, they're all sort of being quite active just to make it normal. Not when you look on the TV screen, not going, oh, someone's got scars. It's just natural. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, I love that color or that lipstick suits me, you know, whatever it is they're showing. What do you think of this generation now that are, you know, on social media and putting their filters on it and obsessed with how they how they look and, you know, I mean, I hear now of like teenage girls, you know, they won't post stuff unless that image is perfect. What do you think of this sort of Instagram? I've been there and done that, you know. I've done let's cover everything and mm. chase the likes and the comments because I want validation outside of me. I want the world to say, oh, you're beautiful, this. But the bottom line is, I've got to feel that. It's got to come from me. I am my own version of beautiful. I'm Mm. not yours or anyone else's. This is who I am. And it's such a shame to see such young people wanting to be someone else. Mm. Why? And so obsessed with how they look on the outside. All the time. We are going to keep talking to Chelsea and finding out exactly, I love this, what you're doing with makeup that challenges the conventional use of it. That's next here on Badass Women's Hour XL. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Now, Chelsea, before the break, I said I wanted to talk to you about how you use makeup because you are not using it in the traditional fashion that we think of when it comes to makeup. No, I just use it to highlight all my good features and... You know, um, I don't want to hide my scars because if I if you saw me on the street and then you saw my profile and I look two different people, 
I'm almost giving off a fake persona to you. And, you know, I believe in sort of authenticity and being genuine. So a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to cover up my scars, like camouflage makeup. And I thought it'll be it'll be a good opportunity to just see what it looks like. I already dabbled with it on my face, you know, over the counter type thing. And then I had an opportunity to cover my left arm, which is quite badly scarred. As soon as the makeup was going on, I started to get almost like a panic attack. I couldn't breathe. And I thought, oh, this is quite bizarre. So the practitioner actually thought maybe I've had a reaction to the um, makeup. But what it was, I couldn't see the colors and the textures of my scar. I couldn't see my arm anymore. And that actually freaked me out, oh, wow. which actually was a bit weird because I'm used to covering my scars on my face. Mm -hmm. So what difference is it on my body? And as soon as the sort of baby wipe went over it and I could remove the makeup, my heart rate started to come down and I could see my arm. And that's the day I decided I'm not going to cover up anymore, in, even in my, on my face. Mm -hmm. So even when I have photo shoots and things, I always instruct them not to go heavy on the scar, like covering the scar. Mm -hmm. Fine, you know, work on the eyes, no problem. But around the scars around my mouth, I don't want them covered because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. So I use makeup to enhance all the good things rather than covering things mm -hmm. that's amazing that your brain was freaking out because it's obviously used to seeing your arm exactly as your arm is yeah and was then a bit like actually is this it was really an surreal but that's the acceptance no because for you yeah. that's that is who you are that's right and so someone trying to change that I, yeah it, whichever whichever way it's just changed it's like that is not me yeah and that i guess that is a really deep level of self-acceptance it is and i think also like how many people have come up to me like, oh, you know, when are you going to get your normal skin back? To which I was like, I'm not sure what you mean. This is normal to me. But mm -hmm. I guess they mean like to have a face that doesn't have a scar, you know, we can pay for surgery. But the bottom line is I'm still going to have a scar even after surgery. So mm -hmm. there's still going to be some sort of scarring. But I don't want to change that. I don't want to cover this anymore yeah. because I don't know what my face will now look like because I've already taken X amount of years to cope with my face as it is now yeah. I don't want to spend another X amount of years coping with another face mm. how many surgeries have you had over over the years and what is it are they is it skin grafts have you have you had yeah. to do any rebuilds so skin graft um, and sort of like release of um, contractors so they get tight okay. um, over 50 surgeries wow. Wow. wow yeah all over your body just... all over body but mainly around the face and my hand because I lost a lot of mobility on my left hand mm -hmm. so it's often work on there and do you Sorry. I was gonna say, do you have to do you still will you have to have surgeries throughout your life no yeah. so now I've been discharged but it's more like if I want anything done then mm -hmm. I sort of can sort of do that but I'm happy as I am because it's not restricting me to do anything so, <laughs> it's gonna sound really flippant when you said have anything done I was like what could you go in and get your boobs done what would you tell any young girl who is in a similar situation who has been through something like you've been through and is standing there looking in that mirror and not recognizing themselves oh it's so tough isn't it because I often have conversations with my former self and I actually cry I actually cry and feel sad for that child because all that pressure you took on all that anxiety all the pressures of the world right now it really means nothing you know time will heal things in a different way you'll learn to adapt but I think it's accepting that whatever's happened to you obviously it's happened for a reason 
but you've got the powers and the tools to cope with this because it's the answers are all within we don't need to look outside for things we don't need very verification from the world mm. it's just within us it's easier said than done you know i'm an almost 40 year old telling a 10 year old or a 14 year old but the bottom line is those differences that you are experiencing now are going to be things you're going to celebrate later when you don't want to be part of a crowd when you want to stand alone in your own truth and practicing what you're preaching basically how do you think social media can help with that i think we need to start using more positive words rather than negative words so mm. you know we don't need to describe things so black and white you know we can put nice words into things we can encourage nice pictures rather than defaming them or trolls you know we need we need to get rid of trolls basically and I don't understand because that's just all insecurities. That's what trolls are. Do you get trolled on your social media? No, I don't. And if anyone wants to, then they're going to get delete, blocked and reported. <laughs> <laughs> so do, on, your, uh, on your bio, uh, a, a couple of lines um, it, from what you've said is, life is not airbrushed. You can look at someone for three seconds and admire them. But what will basically what you'll continue to admire long afterwards is their personality and what they are doing to serve humanity that's what makes someone attractive yeah like how do we get back to that message especially on places mm -hmm. like instagram <sighs> when it is about the visual yeah it is i mean look when we meet somebody like even walking into the studio you know the first thing you do see is a face right mm -hmm. and you're going to make some sort of judgment or perception about that person but that's not what's going to be everlasting. It's it's going to be the warmth that they give. Like, hello, nice to meet you. Mm. You're going to remember that more. Mm. Sure, a face is always going to be there. But, you know, how often do we notice things about a face and then take it home and go, oh, I, I'm not sure about that. We'll forget about it, mm. you know. But what we remember is the courteousness, the niceness, the warmth. And we need to keep practicing that. We need to hone in on how nice we are as human beings, not how bad we are as human beings. Mm. Um like for me, people ask me what what makes me get out of bed is serving humanity in whichever capacity that's in to make a difference in this world. Mm. Because we've had such old school thinking filtered down, not only at home, but for our school systems, for our employment systems, all the systems of always degrading people, never encouraging mm. them to shine. Let's just share things and just shine and let's just be more accepting and embracing so I feel like there's a whole book there. And in your, your, but your day job, you heal people. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Reiki practitioner, mm -hmm. um, but I don't physically heal people in like a, a clinical setting. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I heal them with, like with my words. So mm -hmm. when I do motivational speaking, mm -hmm. um, sort of both outside of school as well as within schools, mm -hmm. um, I'm healing them with words. Mm -hmm. I'm giving them words that can resonate with their life, that they can take away and not sound oh, here's somebody else trying to be really positive and really motivating. It's something that they can take away. And it's like a seed is being planted. But I think we all agree, you know, so much of how we feel and how we heal, and I would even say physically, starts with our minds and the stories and the conversations we have with ourselves, either yeah. positive or negative. Yeah. I mean, it's like a um, recent um, thing that happened, went to a spa I mean, I wear a bikini now because sometimes a swimsuit just doesn't work for me, especially you need to go bathroom, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> I know I look good in a bikini. Now, I'm not honed body in any which way. I'm not toned or anything. But anyway, a friend of mine, um, we go on holiday. She wears swimsuits and that's fine. And then 
you know, she goes, I really want to wear a bikini. I said, so what's stopping you? And I guess it is the fear of other people looking or, or feeling uncomfortable. Anyway, we went to this spa and she wore um, a bikini. And I said to her before we went in, I said, people are either going to look in awe or they're going to look in disgust. Either way, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's what's going on for them. And that really helped her. Mm-hmm. But in the in the changing room, some women were listening to our conversation and they actually felt encouraged to wear a bikini the next time they went out. Mm. How nice is that? Without me actually actively going to them, mm. it inspired them. It's always interesting, isn't it, where, you know, we get so self-obsessed, but neg- it's, it's almost like, anti-narcissism isn't it where you you know your friend is so obsessed about what other people are going to think but actually that whole changing room were obsessed about what everybody else was thinking (laughs) so actually everybody's just thinking about what they look like (laughs) not what you look like yeah yeah so um, i just think we can just take our own power back and just sort of what do we want yeah what do we actually want and then go with that rather than what the majority yeah. thinks we should be yeah, doing because if you did the actions based on if i did not care about what anybody thinks mm. Pete, i think a lot of people would yeah. live their lives in quite different ways yeah they? yeah Tosti, thank you so much for coming in thank and thank you us. for having me <laughs> if people want to hear more of your inspiring thoughts where can they find you um i'm on facebook i'm on instagram i've got my own website as well so you can follow me on there give us the handle it's www.dulcivagiani.com. So that's T-U-L-S-I-V-A-G-J-I-A-N-I.com. Thank you so much for joining us. We've loved listening to you. you. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. We are very excited because we are in the presence of greatness. Uh, we have a double gold medal winner at the Special Olympic World Games in Abu Dhabi this year, Lily Mills, in the studio with us. Hello, Lily. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> and also I'm her re- mum, Tallulah, welcome as well. Hi. Do we do a round of applause? Yeah. Round of applause. Two gold medals. <laughs> incredible work. Um, so, Lily, you are an incredible, incredible tennis player. What do you love about tennis? Um, I love playing tennis. It's the best thing in my life, apart from my family. (laughs) Um, When I play tennis, I feel happy and good. I love training and working hard. I love competing in tournaments. I especially like winning. <laughs> Perfect. Winning winning yeah. is definitely winning is good. good. And I liked how we could hear your medals jingling as you were talking. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we're looking at these the medals now and they are spectacular. They are. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, can, we can hear, we can hear. Um, Talila, tell me about um, the process of, of getting to the games and, and realising that Lily was an amazing tennis player. Um, okay, so, um, well, we started doing the uh, uh, learning disability regional tournaments um, and through that, we were told about the Special Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, she trains every day except Thursdays. Mm-hmm. She has been doing that for years. She's How many s- hours training? It depends. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, sometimes, sometimes four hours, sometimes six hours. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's a lot of training. That is a lot. First days, I don't play tennis. It's day off. How long have you played tennis? Since I was 12. Wow, okay. So you're a pro. Yeah. You're a pro. And uh, what's your your advantage? Backhand. I, this, I'm... Oh, backhand. Backhand, backhand. okay, <laughs> yeah. Pa- the, the power, the power you one. You know all the yeah. tennis lingo, Natalie. No, no I don't. I don't. Um, so I, I loved tennis in school as well. Um, but literally, yeah, just a swing and a backhand is all, all I can do. So yeah. I, I'm I'm really in awe at the moment because it takes a lot of training, a lot of stamina. Yeah. How long are your matches? Um, it depends. It it depends on like the rallies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the when we went to Abu Dhabi, the uh, it was it was uh, two sets, mm-hmm. and then if it was it, then it would go to tie break. So they were quite long sets, wow. which is is good. Yeah, you know, it's better than than um, just one set. Yeah. And Lily, who do you play against? Uh, when I play tournaments, mm-hmm. I have to play against boys as there is no not enough girls to play against oh no boo to that yeah (laughs) but that means you won against the boys yeah Yeah. you beat the boys yeah yeah (laughs) i want to encourage more girls to get in involved in sports that's a really important ambition, most definitely. Yeah. And um, what age group can you continue to play in the Special Olympics until? Okay, so it's it's, it's not about age; it's about ability. Oh. So you be could be, you know, eighteen, and you could play somebody that's fifty. It's it's and. So in in the Special Olympics, that's what's so good about the Special Olympics because mm-hmm. it includes everybody yeah. at every level. So you know, down to um, uh, uh, it's about it's about inclusion and um, and uh, playing you know to the best of your capability, which is you know. Uh, it's 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 leveled out so oh in skills so you're in skill yeah, sets are you rather right, than yeah, age yeah, or yeah, gender yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's about your ability but than the age yeah. so you can go on forever yeah, so we should yeah. be doing on uh, you know standard sports do you think should be that way do you think in terms of a skill do you think that's a the better way for people to compete against each other where you're not defined by your gender you're defined by your skill set and your ability yeah i think i think that that would be really good yeah mm. yeah talila yeah. what um did you see this happening when you had lily when she was born did you think this is what we're going to be doing no uh, no. Travelling the world, winning gold medals. <laughs> no, when Lily was born, she was very ill. Um, she had a lot of complications, meningitis, and she has a rare genetic disorder, galactosemia. And um, they obviously told me to expect the worst. Um, but obviously, each day is a blessing, you know. Each day she gets stronger and better. And um, 
she's always been around tennis her brother played tennis that's how mm. it all started so about the age of five we used to hit a bit because she just used to stand and watch mm. him so we'd get her into it and um and then then and then she on and off she played for a while and then at 12 she she started to take it seriously and also tennis one of the reasons we encouraged the tennis so much is because her life was so small and so by playing tennis she could you know interact with other other children at the time um and she did able it was all able stuff as well so that was really good mm. and she was in a she was in um, a squad that was much younger than her, yep. but she could get on with them because because of the you know because of the age difference and everything and um, yeah and and then from that we learnt about a coach told us about the Special Olympics and that's how we got that's how Lily got into it. Mm. And so how is this your first year at the Special Olympics? Uh, no, second. Second year. Yeah. And. Are you planning to go back next year? Yes. How many gold medals do you think you'll bring home? Two. Two more. Two, two more. Two yeah. more. We're rooting for yeah. you, most definitely. Are, are there any other competitions you'd like to enter for your tennis? Uh, performance squad for Ines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there more girls in that one? Uh one. One. Yeah. Do you think you could beat her? Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> She's a too good. Is she? A bit more training. <laughs> and so how can we get more girls into tennis so they're at the Special Olympics with you? Just, just because you are a girl, that doesn't mean you can't be great at something. This is very true. We agree. If there's something you love doing, then go for it. Most wise words. Lily, thank you. Keep trying, keep training. Believe in yourself. Oh, thank you. Lily, that is beautiful inspiration for us. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming in and being on the show tonight. We have loved having you. So excited I touched your medals. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the fabulous Lily Mills and her mother Talila, thank you so much for coming in, both thank of you. you. <laughs> uh, coming up after 8pm, we are going to be talking about the People's Vote March. Were you there? And do you think it's going to change anything? Emma Sexton, what do you think? What have you seen of it? Do you think it's got impetus behind it? No, I, I just think the country's still split. And it doesn't matter if some of the people who decided to vote one way have now changed their mind. We've ultimately got a split country. We've got a split parliament. There's no solution. It doesn't, to me, just factually on paper does does not seem to make sense so I don't know where we go from here <laughs> I've kind of given up on it I just like I just I there's nothing for me to worry about or vote against until I have to make any kind of decision I'm all, I'm just drowning it out now I'm like I'll just deal with the consequences of whatever happens I'll make it work Matt are you on that I'm just drowning it out or if there was a vote would you actively be voting if there was a vote, I would actively be voting. And actually, before the show, I was feeling quite mare about things. But we've had so many amazing women yeah, on the yeah. show saying, do you know what? Sometimes life is challenging and life is hard, but you get on with it. 
and you go out and you win. Yeah. So I'm feeling much better about everything. I must admit, yeah, yeah. Lily's definitely helped with that. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. As far as I'm concerned, you have to have had cotton wool in your ears for the last few years not to have heard of the Me Too movement. And yet, a survey by Women for Women International shows that out of 8,495 women in rural Afghanistan and Nigeria, not a single one of them had heard of the movement. Uh, here to talk to us now about that is Britta Fernandez-Schmidt, Executive Director for Women for Women International. Hello, welcome to the, welcome to Badass Women's Out. Hey, mm-hmm. hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so Britta, I mean, on the one hand, I feel quite stupid for not, for thinking that just everyone in the whole wide world has heard of this massive movement. I feel like that is some extreme white feminism of me there and some very Western narrow-mindedness. Why do you think, um, well, tell us for a start, why did you undertake the survey? Okay, so it didn't surprise us um, that they didn't uh, know about it, right? Because we're talking about women who live in furthest, sometimes very rural areas in northern Nigeria, which is where we um, interviewed, where we kind of surveyed women in, in Afghanistan. And so um, so we kind of did it to make a point. Yeah. Um, so it didn't surprise us, right? And I mean, I travel to those places a lot and women don't have mobiles. They don't have access to the internet. So why would they know about the Me Too movement, right? But um, the reason why we did this is because actually and this is something that personally has been really upsetting me is you know that there's this kind of narrative that started that the me too movement has gone too far mm-hmm. yeah. and actually it hasn't right and, and, and my message is you know it hasn't gone far enough mm-hmm. because actually the extent of sexual violence um that is you know happening all over the world is so much bigger than we have even begun to understand and so that really was the point of, of mm-hmm. doing this what would you say to people that say, okay, well, what you're talking about, that level of sexual violence, of rape, of um, extreme sexual assault, that, yes, that's the stuff that Me Too should be talking about. The debate, as it's become in the UK and the US, which is about wolf whistling on the street or being 
somebody saying inappropriate comment at work. That's not what it's about. We need to focus on the big stuff. Um, actually, I wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would say, is we need to focus on it all. It's not either or. You know, I think actually they are all manifestations of the same problem mm. of gender inequality, right? Of the mm. stereotypes that we've mm. been put into um, that somehow seems to justify that women can be treated as second class citizens no matter where they are. What I really want to do is I want to talk about how this affects women all over the world mm-hmm. and kind of create a bigger global movement to challenge this sexual violence, right? Because that's one of the wonderful things that I think has come out of the Me Too movement, right? That women have found a space to voice what they've been experiencing mm-hmm. and do that together. So create this solidarity. And that's exactly what we do with Women for Women International, right? So we bring women together, often breaking this isolation that women experience when they've experienced sexual violence because they often internalize it Mm. and think they're guilty and feel this stigma and shame and guilt. So by bringing them together, you break that because actually you realize, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Mm. Actually, this is something systematic that society is doing to us, right? And so so I think we um, need to continue. We need to be louder. And, you know, if that makes some people feel uncomfortable, well, Yes, you know, because actually (laughs) we, because, you know, you know, no, no, honestly, I think it's so interesting. Like change is uncomfortable, but we need to change, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just looking at some of the the stats that we we miss when we're having the conversation about Me Too. So one in three women worldwide will experience physical or sexual violence at some point in her lifetime, mostly by an intimate partner. And the UN estimates that of all women who were victims of homicide in 2017, so 87,000, so 87,000 women um, were killed. Uh, More than half of them were killed by a uh, intimate partner or family members. We are not having that conversation when we talk about Me Too, I think anywhere in the world. But I also feel like Me Too has become a slightly glossy conversation, uh, whether it's a social media conversation. How do we bring it back to a conversation that I, I would say not all women are comfortable having? Yeah, definitely, right? Because that's the first bit. If it's women for women, we need to get women comfortable with having that conversation. And we're not all there. No, we're not all there. Just recently, I was at a um, social gathering and I was talking and this woman started talking. We started talking. In fact, it was the day after International Women's Day and I was talking about the survey we had done. And I was saying, you know, the Me Too movement, some people think it has gone too far. She said, yeah, it has. It's absolutely Mm. gone too far, you know. I'm like, well, I don't think so. And she's like, well, you know, I think it's really, it's not good. You know, men are feeling really uncomfortable, my colleagues (laughs) in the work. And and that's kind of Mm -hmm. what I thought, you know, okay, so so she feels also uncomfortable because what we're actually talking about here is changing really old power structures. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be super uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. so we got to, we got to talk about these statistics, yeah. but we also, because in the end of the day, so what is this is like 137 women killed every day, yeah. right? So yeah. that's statistical. That's crazy. And mm-hmm. that's like shocking. Or like 20 to 50,000 women were raped during the Bosnian war. Yeah. Over 200,000 in Congo alone. I mean, mm-hmm. but we also need to talk about the individual stories because actually those statistics, they can numb us. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, oh, what can I do about that? Mm -hmm. But actually the thing is we can all do something. Like you guys, right, you're talking about it now. I talk about it all the time, but I talk about stories. Mm -hmm. I talk about women Mm -hmm. and that makes me feel and connect in a completely different way. But I still think sometimes right now it might be easier for for a woman to post a I was wolf whistled at, me too, Mm -hmm. than it is to say... 137 women were killed today. 
Yeah. I just in the, in an Instagram world, you know, will women really post I, that? And how do we get them to move the conversation on? Both are important, but one is more Instagrammable. I yeah. think it's almost not that it's more Instagrammable. I think it's that it feels more addressable. That's not a word. Um, but I think, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It feels like, okay, well, this is something that I can have some level of impact on, which is if somebody whistles at me in the street, I can turn around and say, hey, no, don't do that. Whereas when I'm faced with 137 women dying at the hands of intimate partners every single day, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, hang on. How do I how do I even find those women? How mm-hmm. do I start to change that? Who should I be lobbying? It feels very hard to affect that change on so we tend to go okay well i'll just stay back here with the stuff i know i can Mm. do and so this is the thing that that you were ultimately going to say it's the the what can we do as you know as a woman sitting here on a radio yes i can talk talk about it but what else can i physically do to facilitate change at the beginning of the show we were talking about um the cyclone in mozambique and yes it, it feels thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away but we can still do something to affect and change a life so give us some hints and tips and tools so we can actually move from having a conversation to doing something. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, this is one of the things why I'm personally so passionate about Women for Women International is because we, the, the way we create this connection, this, this empowerment, both for the women that we serve in countries affected by conflict, but also for us as women who want to make a difference, mm. right, is that you can sponsor a woman for £22 a month for a year to go through our transformational program mm. and you can write letters to her and and you will get a regular update on what she's learning how she's changing her life and you know we'll accompany that with statistics but also with personal stories and so not only okay yes so it's a financial contribution but much more importantly you are sending her a message of solidarity and honestly I know this might sound cheesy but it's real I travel to the countries and a woman come and they have like the letter tucked in their bra and they're like this is my sister you know do you know her and we call them sisters and it really makes a big difference to them but also to me I've sponsored a woman for many 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 years now and it really moves me often to tears when I get a letter you know and one sister said to me I want to thank you because I know that you know that I exist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know this really simple act of saying I see you Mm -hmm. and that we can all do so yeah so should we change the hashtag from me too to I see you because that's the one that shifts the dial from a conversation that you engage at one level through to something with more impact and meaning and also that you don't have to have experienced it Mm -hmm. in order to stand up for it right yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. and I think that's a really interesting point because I feel like with a lot of me too there was a feeling that almost you had to have experienced it Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form and the thing that was interesting about me too certainly was that it got women to maybe address some of the things they'd just taken as standard and be like oh maybe that isn't standard I remember having moment I was like well I don't really have anything to kind of add to this and then my friend reminded me of when we'd been in a club and we were leaving and some guy that we'd been talking to decided that he was going to say goodbye by grabbing my breasts. And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. That's not acceptable. And yet I'd just been like, well, that's just part of life. Yeah. Um, And I guess that was why me too caught on. Mm. But there is, I think you make a great point, which is that it doesn't 
you don't need to have experienced it to be able to feel empathy with other people. Mm, absolutely. And also to be outraged by it. To be outraged, um, yeah. You know, and see how pervasive it is and how it's really yeah. affecting your world, yeah. even though you might not be directly affected. But one of the things that this woman that who was, you know, very adamant that Me Too had gone too far um, was saying that is she was, you know, I just think it's ridiculous. You know, women knew what they were dealing with at the, you know, 20 years ago. And for them to come out now and say that this was terrible, you know, when they full well knew this is what it took. You know, I was just like, wow, you know, mm. wow. Do you know how long it takes for someone to pluck up the courage to talk about violence that yeah. they've experienced? Like, wow, let's not, mm. please, let's not put each other down. You know, yeah. that's just not why. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also I think that times change. And that's the thing, particularly when we're talking about women in parts of the world where, yes, we can support and empower them, but all the structures around them are not helping. Mm -hmm. So we have to say, okay, well, we'll be able to support you and empower you to a certain level, but it might still take another 10, 20, 50, 100 years for those structures to change as well. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be supporting you now. Exactly, absolutely. But I mean, it's really great, Harriet, that you talk about structures because that's also really important for Women for International. You know, so we have, we focus on women, but we also have a side program, the Men's Engagement Program, where we talk to men and we change their attitudes because like you say, these are structures that actually oppress us in, in you know, in all ways, men and women alike, only the impact is different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are, are um, the men, uh, what, what, how receptive are the men in those areas? Because, you know, I certainly know how, I, I feel like the men have been very mixed on the reception of Me Too. Some of them are like the lady that you spoke to when they're worried about the fake stories. And, you know, so I'm interested in, in other cultures. Like yeah. how receptive are men when you when you put them through your program? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I was in Rwanda recently and I was attending one of the men's engagement classes where they were learning about, um, you know, about the fact that men uh, can also help in the house and that this can be a partnership that, you know, you don't have to just sit there and, uh, you know, wait for the for the woman to serve you. And and also that violence against women is unacceptable and is actually enshrined in law and it's illegal and um and and after the training you know some of the men wanted to give testimony and talk and and one man came up to me with a translator and said you know i'm i feel like a changed man i'm so much happier because i'm i'm in a partnership with my wife and i now know that i don't have to hit my wife so so you know this is the thing so men also grow up with the stereotypes around them and the role models and so they are very open to it and and the testimonies we've had from men in afghanistan and congo and in 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 rwanda is is one where you know relief Mm. of being able to to um follow more their instinct maybe rather than very rigid gender roles exactly wow that's great how long do you think it will be until we start to see proper structural systematic change Mm. in those areas Ah. Ah. do you know what i think honestly i was thinking about this today i was reading this amazing book and and it was talking about you know the time is now for new structures to well it's not even new structures it's like n- no structures yeah. you know it's just yeah. literally just disrupt it so let's not be p- placing ourselves in boxes let's not do it's you either with me or you're against me yeah. you know you're either 
right or you're wrong. Mm-hmm. No, can we just see each other as human beings now? Yeah. <laughs> Agree. Now. Yeah, no, exactly, now. exactly. <laughs> Done. What, what other, other territories around the world do you, you work in? You've mentioned a few, but it's women for women, women international. So where, where are you? Yeah, so I've talked about Rwanda. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned uh, the uh, Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, we're also in Nigeria. We talked about that. Afghanistan. I'm actually next week going to uh, the Kurdistan region of Iraq, mm-hmm. where we're working in the north of Iraq. Mm-hmm with um, Syrian refugees and we're working with the Yazidi women and girls, you know, who were um, abducted by um, ISIS um, four years ago and um, and now, you know, have returned and uh, you can imagine have experienced the most unspeakable traumas and we are helping them with psychosocial counselling and um, and we're, we're taking them through our year-long programme to, you know, to mm. rebuild their their lives. And um, so, so yes, all countries affected by conflict um, okay. and war. And if yeah. you weren't there, who would be doing... Like is that that work just wouldn't happen if you guys weren't there? Yeah, so we focus on areas where there are no other organization doing similar programs. Mm. And, you know, many amazing organizations mm. working all over the world. And actually Women for Women International is quite a small organization. You know, it focuses very much on the kind of personal connection. And um, and so we always look at um, countries and do, do a survey and look and identify the areas where really the women that we help are those who no one else is reaching. Mm. They're the hardest to reach. They are kind of the one, the ones who otherwise would be forgotten, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, that's really kind of our focus. <clears throat> Amazing. And if people want to find out more about Women for Women International if they want to sponsor a woman which they should because it's an amazing programme <laughs> where should they look? Yes please sponsor a woman it's really incredible um, you, the easiest is our website www.womenforwomen.org.uk um, but you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all the kind of social media channels and um, yes please help us thank you Thank <laughs> you so much for coming in today Bridget Fernandez-Schmidt Executive Director of Women for Women International it's been lovely having you One, two, three, four this has been the badass women's hour podcast with me harriet minter natalie campbell and ms sexton if you want to hear more from us you can come follow us on social media at badass women's hour hr um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us we really need to feel the love five stars should do it ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.